Nickelodeon fans, and welcome to the very first episode of this longer format version of This Week in Nickelodeon History. My name is Eric Cormier, and I am your curator through the vast history of Nickelodeon content. Uh, For those who have never uh, heard about this before or what this is, if this is your first time ever checking in, um, my name is Eric Cormier, and I am the host of another show that is related to Nickelodeon called I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Uh, and in the second season of that show, during the second season of SpongeBob, I decided to add an extra segment to the beginning of my show that would go over all of the premieres and finales of different shows each and every week in Nickelodeon history. But I found that, uh, and a few other fans found, that there were some weeks that the Nickelodeon content outweighed the spongebob content and on a spongebob podcast that's a bit unfair so i spoke to a few fans of the show who thought it would still be appropriate to keep that segment around but just make it its own show on the same feed on the same channel uh therefore if you were a fan of uh of more nickelodeon content outside of spongebob you'd be able to listen to this on its own and then keep the spongebob podcast by itself and let me tell you there was no better week to start this as its own thing than this week and it'll become painfully obvious by the end of this episode, or if you already know your Nickelodeon history, you kind of see where this is going. Now, while this was a shorter format concept, I would usually start with the oldest property first and make my way up to the most current property. And I think moving forward, I'm going to go with the reverse, where I'm going to start with the newer newer stuff first, make my way to the older stuff. Now, one thing I want to bring up that has been a question that has been asked since I started this, which, which is when you hit episode 50, when you when you've hit a full year are you going to keep doing this well I see this concept as an ever-growing ever-expanding idea Um, I've thought of things like after I hit a year I can bring on a a co-star every year to help talk about you know their own personal experiences with some of these shows to just keep good conversation going I have no problem talking about Danny Phantom once a year for for 10 minutes if I really want to. Um, but doing that myself every year, you're just going to start hearing the same the same old anecdotes, the same old opinions. So um, we don't have to worry about that right now. I am nowhere close to being a year of this, and this is kind of a fresh start. So even um, in the previous months that I've uh, uh, had this as a part of my other show, um, I kind of held back on on stories and things I wanted to talk about simply because I wanted to keep it uh, as short as possible. Um, but now that I don't have to do that and I can record a bunch of these in a row because this is all history here. We don't have to wait for something to happen or we don't have to, to wait every week or anything. I can bang out 10 of these in a day if I really wanted to. Um, so we'll worry about the future when it has to come there, but this is going to be something that for every year I want there to be a different feel to it so that we can still talk about uh, Nickelodeon each and every week. I can still be a part of this, but then also just expand it as the years go on so it always feels fresh. And there's a lot of uh, appropriate 
moments in this episode that made me realize why this is so perfect to start first. And uh, and it doesn't get any better than what we're starting with, because this year alone, on April 2nd, 2021, Nickelodeon had two premieres, Camp Coral, SpongeBob's Under Years, and The Barbarian and the Troll. Uh, Camp Coral, SpongeBob's Under Years, I have talked, I wouldn't say in nauseam, but I have definitely talked about this on my SpongeBob podcast. Uh, I would recommend, if you are interested in knowing more of my um, my personal opinion over the show and different little minute details, I would check out episode 55, which covers a great deal of Camp Coral and my experience at watching the first six episodes of this show. And just at the end of the day, I would say that there are things as a longtime SpongeBob fan that I really enjoyed in Camp Coral, and there were things that I didn't like about the show, but I do think it is worth checking out. So if you haven't watched it yet, and you're still on the fence, you're just still not happy about um, the the production of this show, and uh, even though we've talked about that in length as well, and that it's just kind of blown out of proportion of this situation with um, the passing of Steven Hillenburg, I think there are some really good things to like about the show. And now that it's on Nickelodeon, if you don't want to pay for Paramount+, Plus, I, I would just give it a shot. It's completely free for you, and at its worst, you wasted 20 minutes minutes of your life. Uh, that That isn't a big deal because I'm sure that's happened with plenty of shows and will continue to happen in the future when it comes to content. Uh, the other show, on the other hand, The Barbarian and the Troll, created by Mike Mitchell and Drew Massey, premiered on April 2nd, 2021, and it is a puppet comedy series for Nickelodeon. Now, Nickelodeon has a history with puppet shows, most of them coming from the Nick Jr. side of things with shows like Allegra's Window and Eureka's Castle. Um, but on the Nickelodeon side of things, the only other puppet show that you're probably thinking of is Mr. Meaty, which I am a massive fan of if I haven't made that clear in the past. Um, so I'm willing to give this a shot, but but puppet shows are so there's such a niche market for them unless you can just, I don't know, supersede the idea of a puppet show. Like if the writing is just so good, then the fact that they're puppets will be meaningless. But um, I, I feel like puppets are, are a tough medium to get fans of it for i mean there are the muppets but those are completely different that's a completely different beast than just um a, a random puppet show premiering in 2021 um so i'm gonna check it out at some point i hope it i hope it has a successful run on nickelodeon um and and we'll we'll see more of the barbarian and the troll moving forward once i uh once i check it out uh, but one year ago, on March 28th, 2020, the show Danger Force premiered on Nickelodeon. Danger Force created by Christopher J. Nowak. Nowak. One or the other. Dan Schneider and Dana Olson is the uh, spinoff slash sequel to the hit show Henry Danger, which actually finished up its run in 2020. Um, very smart concept here. I, I didn't watch Henry Danger um, really ever. I don't think I've ever watched a full episode, but I, I've seen so much of the show. I've seen clips of the show online. I have a good understanding on what the show was and who the characters were. Um, so it, for those that have never watched Henry Danger, who have no idea what this is, um, in Henry Danger, there is a character, a superhero called Captain Man, played by Cooper Barnes, 
who enlists the help of a, of a new sidekick called Kid Danger, placed by played by Jace Norman. Um, and it's it's they five seasons, 121 episodes of them saving Swellview from a whole myriad of uh, very creative and kooky villains. Uh, after that show ended its run, and Jace Norman kind of moved on, they took the character of Captain Man and had him train a whole new group of kids, uh, four of them now, a danger force, if you will. Uh, Henry Danger was such a massive hit for Nickelodeon um, that this just makes sense. This is just something clear. I'm sure they had this idea uh, in the pipeline years ago when they just said, hey, when when Jace is a little bit too old for this and we have to move on, we can still keep Captain Man and bring on new kids. It's it's a concept that can work after Danger Force. When this show ends, they can have a third show with Captain Man taking on um, more kids to teach and train, and and you could you could keep this franchise going for a long time as long as there's still an audience for it. Uh, it. It still seems like it's a hit. I don't know if if there are fans out there, Henry Danger, who aren't into this show as much or maybe stopped watching. But uh, as far as we can tell, uh, this show is is still a massive hit. These characters are a, a, a massive hit. So um, we'll we'll see how it goes moving forward. Three years ago, on April 1st, 2019, the show The Substitute premiered on Nickelodeon. The Substitute is a hidden camera show. I was going to say game show, but it's not a game show. It takes a uh, celebrity of some sort, puts them all in prosthetic makeup to kind of make them look like a completely different person. And their job is to play a substitute teacher of sorts to a group of children and just to really mess with them, to really just, I don't know, make the kids freak out and and worry. I've never seen a full episode of the show, but I've seen clips online. You know, when they get guys like John Cena and the Miz, I'm a wrestling fan, so when I hear that they were going to be on episodes of the show or even the Bella Twins, I I looked at the clips when they were on Facebook and whatnot. Uh, It seems uh, super fun. It's super childish. It's definitely the most family-friendly uh, hidden camera show I could probably think of unless any like if you're hearing this you're probably thinking of another one that I'm just completely missing um, the one thing I didn't know is I didn't know this was hosted by anybody uh, apparently this is uh, the show is presented by Juan Pazurita who uh, seems to be a, a uh, just an online uh, megastar on YouTube uh, a vlogger um, on Facebook, he's he's got millions of followers. So Nickelodeon always kind of attaches to you know what's what's hip uh, with the kids on social media, and they usually get those kind of um, you know stars to 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 be in shows like this. It's happened before; it'll happen in the future. Um, but I, that was the one thing I was like, wait, there's an actual host to this. I just thought that the point was to to get the celebrities in the in the getup but i guess you know i guess it needs a narrator of some sort or, or yeah somebody in the bumpers to just kind of keep you invested somebody to present it i'm yeah that makes sense then now that i'm thinking about it live as recording i swear there is some preparation to this uh to these kind of segments to these kind of shows but um you know may, maybe that's a part of next year maybe i'll just actually start watching all of these shows and and for the for a bunch that i have no idea for uh, i'll be for to, to give you my opinions on them. Uh, first of which is this show, Star Falls, which premiered on March 31st, 2018, three years ago. Uh, I have no idea of Star Falls, never knew it existed. Um, it only lasted 20 episodes, one season. Uh, it seemed, it says it's a comedy, but when I look at the at the poster here, it falls more into like a drama with maybe some antics, but I have no idea. I've never seen it. Uh, just like our next show, 
Jagger Eaton's Mega Life, which ended its run on April 2nd, 2017, four years ago. Uh, now, this was executive produced by Rob Deerdeck, which is telling me, and, you know, when I read that title, that it's about Jagger Eaton's life, and it's probably kind of falls in line with shows like Robin Big and Life of Ryan, where it takes a professional skateboarder and gives him an exaggerated life. Although, this is called a docu-series so maybe this is a bit more serious than shows like Robin Big where it's just kind of Rob waking up one morning and going hey let's let's try surfing and the whole episode is about him and Big going surfing um, never seen the show but uh, looking into Jagger Eaton I want to give him some credit uh, he at one point was the youngest ever X game competitor uh, and won a bronze medal at the 2016 summer X games in the street am so um, look like I am I am a big fan of skateboarding. I, I fell right into that culture in the early 2000s. Thank, thanking the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series for that. Um, and of course, just my love for Bam Margera. Um, so I, I have a massive love for skateboarding. So anybody who is good at skateboarding, I'm like, I'm, I'm absolutely impressed by it and I love it. So, uh, like congratulations to Jagger Eaton and, and all of his, uh, all of his hard work in the world of skateboarding. Um, and congratulations on your Nickelodeon show. I mean, like, I, Hey, look, I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly jealous about that. I don't have a Nickelodeon show. So good for you, buddy. Now we're going from real extreme sports to fictional extreme sports because on March 31st, 2016, five years ago, the show Max and Shred finished up its run on Nickelodeon. The show created by Josh Greenbaum and Ben McMillan. Uh, it starred Johnny Gray and Jake Goodman as the uh, titular characters Max and Shred. From what I remember in this show, they did uh, they did just the odd couple. You know, Max, as I'm reading the premise, Max Asher, a celebrity snowboarder, and Alvin Shred Ackerman, a science whiz kid, who become roommates and instant friends when Max moves to Colorado to train for the Winter Cup. Um, it, it's 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 your classic odd couple. Here's the snowboarder. Here's the nerd. Put them together. What do you get? Uh, it reminds me of Drake and Josh, even though it's like Drake being this super cool uh, musician and Josh being this uncool nerdy guy. Uh, it, it's a it's a formula that works. I don't want to make it sound like I'm negative on it because it's a formula that has worked in the past. It's a formula that works now and it's a formula that'll work in the future. So this ran for two seasons, 34 episodes. Uh, not bad for a show, a live action show in Nickelodeon. So there's uh, Max and Shred. Now we're going from live action to animation because six years ago on March 28th, 2015, the show Harvey Beaks premiered on Nickelodeon. Harvey Beaks was created by C.H. Greenblatt, who fans of SpongeBob should know was a massive creative force for SpongeBob uh, during its second and third seasons. Uh, his fingerprints can be seen all over a lot of these really good and remembered episodes. Uh, and I love the guy not just for his work on SpongeBob, but he went on to create what I believe is one of the most underrated, underappreciated Cartoon Network shows in its history, Chowder. Uh, absolutely love Chowder. He went on to create Chowder, and after that show was just kind of, I feel mishandled by Cartoon Network in a way. He moved on to Nickelodeon and created this show, Harvey Beaks, which most fans would say was also mishandled by the network. 
Um, Harvey Beaks fell into this long lineup of Nicktoons that didn't hit like massive ratings in its first season and then just got moved over to Nicktoons. Um, now, Nicktoons as a network, I, I should... I should say should always have some sort of new content coming on the channel for people to you know to give reason for people to watch that channel. But when Nicktoons started, the the content they had going for them were were other content from other uh, channels in the world. Shows like Cornel and Bernie, um, and and even originals that they would create in house. Things like Kappa Mikey. That was the stuff that for me would give me a reason to watch the Nicktoons network. Um, but they they unfortunately mishandled Harvey Beaks and it's a show that as much as I love C.H. Greenblatt I have not checked out but it's I, I believe it's on Paramount Plus I have Paramount Plus um, I'm going through a lot of older shows right now stuff that I'm just vegging out like right now I'm, I'm in the middle of Kablam I'm just watching every episode of Kablam um, and, and eventually I'm going to get to Harvey Beaks because I, I can't imagine it's not a good show with that guy at the head of it. He is a he is somebody I would want conducting my train. Let me just say that. Uh, so good on C.H. Greenblatt. And uh, and that's Harvey Beaks for you. Seven years ago, on April 1st, 2014, the show You Gotta See This ended its run on Nickelodeon, uh, another show that was only 20 episodes long one season, and apparently it actually is 28 episodes with eight unaired episodes. Um, but this show, which was presented by Noah Crawford and Chris O'Neill, is essentially web soup ridiculousness for Nickelodeon, as far as I can tell. Um, it, it's The synopsis is that it, it is described as a series combining the best of the web, behind-the-scenes footage, celebrity interviews, pranks, bloopers, um, in a 30-minute series package. Uh, so, you know, just like I said, it's like Tosh.0 um, videos online, and it sounds like there was some other content kind of rolled in there that would help. But looking at the the release schedule of this show, it's not one that stayed around very long. I mean, from July 21st, 2012, when it premiered, it looked like they were rolling out almost weekly episodes through August, stopped, released two more episodes in October. And then two years later, on April 1st, 2014, dumped four of the episodes on Nicktoons Network. I'm just guessing as an April Fool's joke. They're like, here's this show. <laughs> Enjoy four episodes. And then there's just eight episodes completely unaired of this show, um, which makes me like it's bonkers. Like, I kind of want to see those eight episodes. I, I kind of want to get into the show and find those episodes um, if they've aired on other. Uh, I, I imagine they've had to have aired for people to know that they're that there's that many unaired um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine. I, I feel like a show like this, like a web soup, like a Tosh.0, oh, there, there, there is room for there to be a Nickelodeon version. Uh, it just seems that this this wasn't it. This was this was not the way. Definitely not the way. 13 years ago, on March 29th, 2018, Nickelodeon's Dance on the Sunset premiered right after the 2008 Kids' Choice Awards. Uh, hosted by Quidis Philippe, who is known for his time in MTV, it was created by Brian Letter and Frederick Levy. It was a, it was a dance competition show of sorts on Nickelodeon. Um, it only ran for about 12 episodes and finished its run on February 15th, 2019, almost making a year. Um, I, I don't know if there's... I, I just... It says that it was canceled due to low viewership. I don't know if there is 
room there's got to be room on television for dance shows like this i just don't know if nickelodeon is the right place i feel like the mtv crowd would be more into this than the nickelodeon crowd um and if you're gonna do shows like this i would i would i don't know teen nick feels like the place for for dance on sunset if you're gonna 14 years ago on march 29th 2007 the show Blues Room finished its run after 17 episodes 14 years ago. That is so I oh God, I'm so old. It's going to get worse. Um, Blues Room is this very weird spinoff from Blues Clues, and they made a whole special about this. And the reason why I know this so extensively is my brother being born in the year 2004 was was pretty much right in prime time Nick Jr. viewing at this at at this age for him. So Blues Room was right up his alley. Uh, so they did this special in which Blue ends up finding um, this like toy box this little like musical box and when it opens up it transports blue to a world in which she goes from being a two-dimensional uh blue puppy to a to a to a puppet and other puppets living in this room and now she, that she can talk um that was like the big deal that was the big point of the of the special was that you're eventually going to see blue as this um as this live action puppet and uh, and that she was going to actually talk because Blue in the in the show Blue's Clues doesn't talk. Uh, the the voice of Blue was provided by Victoria Pontecorvo. Hope I, I pronounced that correctly. Um, and there was a few other characters that were that were Blue's Room specific. And the thing about Blue's Room though is that uh, other than that special, they adopted Blue's Room into the format of Blue's Clues. Um, Sesame Street at the time had a format of Elmo's World, which I'm sure everybody remembers and groans about because it is just Elmo overload, uh, overload. But during an hour episode of Sesame Street, the last 15 minutes of that show would be devoted strictly to Elmo in Elmo's World. So I think for another season or, or so, um, the last like 10, 15 minutes of a half hour Blue's Clues episode would be devoted to Blue going to Blue's room before eventually I think they decided to to split the two into two completely different entities, just like I'm doing now with This Week in Nickelodeon and I'm Ready a SpongePod Squarecast. Although I will argue that This Week in Nickelodeon makes a lot more sense than Blue's room did at the time. Uh, th there is a, a cuteness to it, but I thought when they started mixing it in a little bit, I like during season two, Joe from... Uh, Blues Clues became a main star of Blues Room, and so he's coming to the room now as well. And then they eventually give Blue a baby brother called uh, Sprinkles, who doesn't doesn't live in the Blues Clues house. He just lives in this music box, and they don't really explain like how Blue has a brother. It's just one of those things that I think when families, you know, they have one dog and then they get another dog. A lot of people just, you know, this is your brother. I think it's something like that that happened. But um, it's just a very weird puppet show. I have I have no idea. It, it was just bizarre watching it with my brother because I grew I grew up with Blue's Clues. Um, but, yeah, it only lasted two seasons of 17 episodes and then kind of came and went. And it, and it pretty much went down at the same time that the original run of Blue's Clues did. Uh, which got revived a few years ago as Blue's Clues and You, which from all intent and purposes really revived the franchise of Blue's Clues back up to its its full potential, which was really nice to see as a as an old school fan. 
And to give credit where credit is due, the show is created by Tracy Page Johnson and Angela Santomero, who are both creators of Blue's Clues. So they, I, I believe they had a hand in this. Um, I am sorry, ladies. I, I love the character of Blue. Definitely just not a fan of Blue's Room. 17 years ago, on April 3rd, 2004, the Nicktoon Danny Phantom premiered on Nickelodeon. Uh, created by Butch Hartman, Danny Phantom is one of my top three favorite Nicktoons of all time. And the other day, I had to do a double take in seeing that it's been 17 years since its premiere. That is just bonkers. I, like I said earlier, it, like if you feel old with certain properties when they hit a certain age, uh, you're, it's just going to get worse. And, and even in this episode, it's, it's just going to get worse on how old I feel. Um, Danny Phantom came at a perfect time for Nickelodeon. 2004 was was a, a big change where you started getting these more action-oriented, you know, these cartoons that had action on top of comedy, shows like Jimmy Neutron and eventually Avatar The Last Airbender in 2005. Danny Phantom came in as, as Nickelodeon's, like, first um, uh, superhero of sorts that had his own show. Of course, we had characters like Powdered Toast Man and Crimson Chin and Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, but this was the first time that, that they had, like, hey, this is this is our, you know, our hero that is targeted to, to male, you know, young boys. This is, like, our Ben 10, even though Ben 10 wasn't even on Cartoon Network yet until, I think, 2005. Um, Danny Phantom... I, I can make a whole podcast about Danny Phantom. That's how much I love him, and, and I'm so scatterbrained about this because there's so much to unpack here. Um, but for Butch Hartman, when this show came out, it, it made Butch Hartman look like a, an absolute genius in animation because he had just had the Fairly Odd Parents, and then his second show is even better, in my opinion. Um, it, it made the anticipation for that eventual third show, Tough Puppy, it, it set up expectations that Tough Puppy could never, to, could never achieve because of how good this show was. Uh, it ran for three seasons, 53 episodes, um, and although I think it could have ran for a few more seasons, I still think it had a lot of gas in that tank that it didn't overuse. Um, I, I'm happy that we got some sort of finality to the show, to the story. I know that the finale, Phantom Planet, if you talk to some fans, they love it. Some fans hate it. Maybe even most fans just generally dislike that finale. I I'm okay with it. Uh, it's better than it just leaving on a note where you're stuck wondering whatever happened. I mean, look what happened to Hey Arnold uh, and, and shows like Invader Zim, shows that would eventually get, you know, kind of conclusive finales, but, you know, not till years later and people grew up and... You know, at that point, some people may have just not cared anymore. So for, for Danny Phantom to be able to go out with some sort of final episode is is very nice. Definitely that third season was just mishandled. And, and I think the show, if you go back and look, it was certainly popular. It had a fan base, and I don't think Nickelodeon took full advantage of that fan base. There was apparently prototypes of Danny Phantom action figures that never saw the light of day. I would have bought Danny Phantom action figures. At least Avatar, they had a run of them in stores to see how things would work, and I don't think Avatar hit its full fan base potential yet. Um, but to see Danny uh, be so beloved at the time, but just missing products, it, it definitely hurt. I latched onto whatever Danny Phantom products I could. Uh, I still have a poster from my local ice cream man when the Danny Phantom ice cream bar came out. 
Um, and I kept Campbell's soup cans that had Danny Phantom on it for like for a few years just as things on my shelf of, of items I own. You know, I would have like a museum of of just pop culture and there weren't many Danny Phantom products. It was literally a promotion with Burger King with a few, you know, like their, you know, kids meals toys. Uh, and since then there have been uh, action figures released by Jazzwares, two versions of them, which I, I, not bragging, but I have both the gray and white versions of that mint on card and opened. That's how much of a Danny Phantom fan I am. I bought four Danny Phantom action figures just so I could have them open and and have some in box. Um, and even the Funko Pops that were recently released, I, I made sure I, I got both styles, even though they're the exact same pop and the sticker on the front really shouldn't matter. Um, but I'm, I'm a massive fan of Danny Phantom. I imagine one day down the road, as I'm building more of this Nicktoon podcast content, I will have a Danny Phantom podcast and, and we'll talk more about it in depth there. Um, but it's a show that has such potential that a return is is almost inevitable at this point. It still has a massive fan base. Now that it's being pushed on Paramount Plus as a part of the Nickelodeon collection, it's reaching more more eyes. And I hope and, and Butch Hartman has alluded to the fact that there could be a return of some sort to the world of Danny Phantom. Um, I hope it happens. I hope it happens. And, and I hope. Um, even just getting another movie on Paramount Plus, a movie that takes place after Phantom Planet, and you don't have to really age up the characters. We could just have a new Danny Phantom movie. Uh, let's get this going. Let's let's push Paramount Plus on Twitter to get a new Danny Phantom movie. This is something that the fans want, that the fans demand. And and if Zack Schneider can get his theatrical cut of Justice League, which didn't exist then I think we can get Paramount Plus to put out a Danny Phantom movie. I don't know. I'm just such a massive fan of it. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it more eventually down the road. Uh, but 30 years ago, on March 30th, 2001, Nickelodeon had two of its biggest premieres, two of its biggest Nicktoons ever in the history of the channel, bar none, premiered on this night, The Fairly Odd Parents and Invader Zim. And we just got done talking about Danny Phantom. Here's Butch Hartman's, uh, his first show, his 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 beginnings right here with the Fairly Odd Parents. Um, Fairly Odd Parents, uh, before its, its premiere as a series, actually has three years worth of experience on Nickelodeon as a part of Oh Yeah Cartoons. There were 10 shorts that, uh, that premiered alongside Oh Yeah Cartoons over that show's, I think it ran for three seasons. Um, with its final episode, Super Humor, actually uh, premiering seven days before the series premiere. So Super Humor on Oh Yeah Cartoons premiered on March 23rd, 2001. And a week later, uh, The Fairly Odd Parents premiered as its own half-hour show with The Big Problem. Uh, the Fairly Odd Parents uh, and, and both Invader Zim, uh, which, which we'll get to in a second, have two completely different trajectories on Nickelodeon. It's crazy because I was I was putting this together and knowing, you know, this was the big 20th anniversary of both the Fairly Odd Parents and Vader Zim. When you take a step back and look at both shows on this channel and how how, you know, completely different they were, not only in content, but the Fairly Odd Parents is one of the longest running Nickelodeon shows in the channel's history. It's up there with SpongeBob SquarePants and Rugrats. You, you would think that a show that has been on this long would would kind of be bigger and and it isn't which is really weird and then you have this other show invader zim which 
at the time, I believe, was was when it was taken off of Nickelodeon's programming during its second season. Um, it, it was the shortest run for a Nicktoon. And since then, has gone, gotten such a cult fan base that there is always demand for Invader Zim products and Invader Zim content in some form. And you don't see that for the Fairly Odd Parents. At least on that level. I know that there are super fans of the Fairly Odd Parents, and there's people like me who revere um, most of the run of that show as being high quality. And and the Fairly Odd Parents, to give its credit that at some point during its run, while it was head-to-head -head with the best of SpongeBob SquarePants, was either um, tying it in the ratings and in some cases beating SpongeBob. There were points in time where the Fairly Odd Parents on Nickelodeon was more popular than SpongeBob. And the fact that that happened when SpongeBob is at his absolute prime, like season two, season three time, it, it's completely bonkers to me that this show, um, according to Butch Hartman, went through like multiple cancellations throughout its entire run. Um, from the very, I think from the very first season all the way up until season, uh, five, which was its fine, like, which was its like hard cancellation. Uh, Butch Hartman, um, has of course talked in, in great lengths on his content of his YouTube channel and his, his podcast about the Fairly Odd Parents, where, where they, uh, where they started, where, how they were created, the pitch. Um, the one thing to know about this is that while Butch was working over at Hanna-Barbera working on uh, Johnny Bravo alongside Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane, um, he actually pitched the idea of the Fairly Odd Parents to both Hanna-Barbera and Cartoon Network, both, both of which turned him down. Now, looking back at this time and this, this time of Cartoon Network, that is shocking to me. I mean, they had shows like Two Stupid Dogs, which... I like, but it's like you're going to you're going to fully produce the show Two Stupid Dogs, and then you have the Fairly Odd Parents, and that's just like now nah, we don't want to touch that. Like, come on, um, I know that Nickelodeon gets a lot of blunders for passing on shows like Adventure Time and Phineas and Ferb, and and this has to be noted that Cartoon Network and Hanna Barbera passed on the Fairly Odd Parents. That that that's something that needs to be brought up just as much as Nickelodeon's uh, uh, failures on those other two shows. Um, but eventually, uh, Hartman went back to uh, Fred Seibert, who who contacted Hartman initially in 1997 to pitch ideas for Oh Yeah Cartoons, which was a collection of, of just various animated shorts that would air on Nickelodeon. I, I believe with the idea that eventually, you know, uh, if any of these ideas were really popular, they would just become their own shows on Nickelodeon, which happened three times. Uh, the Fairly Odd Parents, Chalk Zone, and my life as a teenage robot. Uh, so after after the the concept being turned down by Hanna Barbera and Cartoon Network, he went back to Cybert uh, at Nickelodeon, and eventually the shorts got made for Oh Yeah Cartoons. Um, in early development, the show was called The Fairy Godparents, and then it was briefly changed to Oh My Godparents. Um, Bill Burnett came up with the title The Fairly Odd Parents, which is eventually what they they stuck it with. Uh, the show. Not that I went into detail about Danny Phantom. Um, this is 20 years, so we're just giving some uh, credit here. So the show is about life of Timmy Turner, a 10-year-old who no one understands, who has very neglectful parents, a, a very stressful school life, and is uh, is constantly being watched by an evil babysitter named Vicky. Uh, out of this 
I don't want to say depression, but just out of this, all this angst going on in this kid's life, he's gifted fairy godparents who in this world are gifted to kids who need them. Eventually, these kids grow out of needing fairy godparents and they get moved on to another needy kid. And we're introduced to his fairy godparents, Cosmo and Wanda, a married couple, if you will. The show has definitely grown and seen many forms throughout its run uh of course i mentioned it's it's multiple cancellations although no none of them really stuck eventually the show was just decided to be to to continue on uh up until after season five at the end of season five is when we had both jimmy timmy power hour two and jimmy timmy power hour three right at the end of its run and nickelodeon just decided this was a hard cancellation for both jimmy neutron and the fairly odd parents it was a massive blow to their content because this is my favorite time, really, of Nickelodeon, I would say, in what I would call the Silver Age of Nickelodeon, the, the, the early 2000s, where you have SpongeBob, you have shows still going like Rocket Power, but you also have new shows, The Fairly Odd Parents, Invader Zim, Jimmy Neutron, Danny Phantom, all of these massive hits. Um, and then by 2006, they just decide, you know what, it's done, we're canceling it. Um, while Jimmy Neutron remained canceled, the Fairly Odd Parents were actually resurrected. I believe we heard maybe if the following year where they were going to have a new special called Fairly Odd Baby that would introduce Cosmo and Wanda's uh, ch child, the first fairy uh, baby that was born, I think, in a thousand years or ten thousand years or some sort, um, and and did massive ratings for them. This was a big deal and uh the character of poof was introduced and continued on through the sixth season now nickelodeon got a bit greedy because uh instead of of just you know continuing the show as is they just decided you know what with with more seasons coming down the road we need to introduce we need to keep injecting new blood into the show by season nine they introduced timmy's uh fairly odd pet and used him throughout that subsequent season. And then of season 10, they introduced the character of Chloe, who was uh, the, the female lead who was going to be sharing Cosmo and Wanda alongside Timmy Turner. Um, Butch has kind of talked about this, that these kind of ideas were really out of his control. They were just kind of brought up and, and forced to keep the show going. I, I would have had the show end. Um, characters like Poof and Sparky, the uh, fairly odd pet, as mentioned, um, a lot of these characters are blamed for the downfall of the Fairly Odd Parents. Uh, in my opinion, those characters were just kind of side note joke characters, whereas the character of Chloe just comes in and ruins the entire dynamic of the show that started back in 1998 and then became its own series in 2001. Um, I, I think there's still uh, there's still room for the Fairly Odd Parents to continue on. Paramount Plus has already announced that they're making a live-action show based off of the Fairly Odd Parents, and I'm going to hold my breath on that. Um, you know, because the movies, the live-action movies, were were kind of okay. So maybe the the show could be something fun too, or maybe they can take a, a fun direction of it. Uh, but th this show is, like I said, going with the connection with Invader Zim here. Um, the fact that this show has been on for so long and and is as big as it was the the I wish that cult fan base was as loud as the Invader Zim cult fan base is. Uh, and as it, wait, can a show like The Fairly Odd Parents even have a cult fan base when it was that big and had 172 episodes uh, by the end of its run? Um, 
283 different segments of the Fairly Odd Parents. I, I can't believe that. Uh, but it finally finished up its run on July 26, 2017, um, after a very grueling 10th season that eventually switched animation formats over to Flash. And my goodness, it is so obvious looking and just looks terrible. Like, I refuse to watch those episodes unless one day I do a Fairly Odd Parents podcast i don't think i can watch those episodes it it, it, it just it depresses me too much to see how how far it's come um the one thing i'll give the fairly odd parents though over every other nicktoon even danny phantom is almost all of its tv movies are like are fire nine ten out of ten um Aber catastrophe channel chasers schools out the musical the jimmy timmy power hour series because those are actually listed as fairly odd parents episodes um, no other show can hold a candle to it. I think maybe second to that, Danny Phantom's TV movies were always pretty much a good time, but uh, Fairly Odd Parents ones always knocked it out of the park. Everybody loves Channel Chasers, but Abra Catastrophe, the one that started it all, was a, just an absolutely fun uh, movie that I wish was in theaters because at some point uh, a theatrical movie from Paramount was was announced, like a an animated theatrical movie that Butch has has talked about. That I wish that was made. I, I wish that could have been done. Um, but you know, life goes on. I, I hope that we haven't seen the last of Timmy Turner in, in an animated form. I, I hope that this live action show isn't it for the Fairly Odd Parents. I, I think that there's still so much love for these characters that um, I, I hope Paramount Plus, alongside that show, makes another movie with Butch, makes another Fairly Odd Parents property. Um, because this this world, the characters, they're beloved. They just have to be done the right way, not like the last few seasons of it. Uh, but let's move on to the other show that premiered on that same day, 20 years ago, March 30th, 2001. We have Invader Zim. Um, as mentioned, it, it's just a very uh, a fun comparison. It's a very weird comparison to The Fairly Odd Parents. Both these shows premiere in the same hour and just have completely different trajectories on the channel. Invader Zim, by all accounts, in terms of design and content, is a darker show to the Fairly Odd Parents. But you can't go... You, that shouldn't feel weird if you know anything about the creator, Mr. Jonan Vasquez, who created uh, the comic book Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, uh, and, and also its spinoff series Squee, which I know is, is at just as popular as Johnny was. Um, Jonan had a very dark history in his creations, uh, and I think Nickelodeon was kind of looking for it. I think they kind of wanted a dark show. Invader Zim was way before its time. This is something that would have fit in, like, if Nickelodeon had their own version of, of Adult Swim, but maybe didn't aim towards adults, maybe just more of a teen, like, hey, this is a little bit more of a mature cartoon. If they had something like that, I think Invader Zim would have fit well, um... But if you go back at the time on Nickelodeon, this was just, by and large, the darkest property they ever had. But that's what helped its charm. It had such a funny charm. It was just bizarre and weird in its design, its in its writing, and its comedy. Um, it was all over the place, and you can tell uh, in its in its very small twenty seven episodes why this is as popular as it still is because it just. You don't see shows like this, and especially when you get to certain episodes, it, it may, like this was on Nickelodeon. 
I absolutely love it. Um, Invader Zim uh, started out, obviously, on March 30th, 2001, and by its second season was taken off of the network just due to, to constant complaints by parents. Um, its last episode, the most horrible Xmas ever, actually was the, the last episode that aired on Nickelodeon all the way in December 10th, 2002. Um, pretty much the entire second season didn't air at all until 2006 on Nicktoons Network when all these shows were finally aired. I think they were available before then through um, a DVD set that Paramount put together. You can watch all of the all of the season two episodes, but um, they waited until 2006 on Nicktoon, Nicktoons Network, and it was such a massive ratings hit for Nicktoons Network that they started finally toying around with the idea of bringing Nick Invaders in back in some way, shape, or form. So what they ended up doing, instead of just going by the money that Invader Zim was still making through Hot Topic, which, um, so going back to that, for those that don't under, who don't know what Hot Topic is, in the United States, there is a store chain called Hot Topic, um, which it's always been like an alternative looking store. It's a very dark store. And at this time in 2005, 2006, it would lean towards more of the gothic crowd, if you will, a lot of black, a lot of chains. Um, they always had band shirts in store, and I used to love going in because as long with, along with the band shirts, they would usually have some pop culture shirts, but usually Hot Topic was very choosy over, you know, what kind of properties would be sold in their stores, and Invader Zim was always a big part of that. It's not like there was always a massive section of Invader Zim merchandise, but I would say that from 2005-2006 time, every year since then, there's at least been some sort of new Invader Zim piece of merchandise. Whether or not it's a t-shirt that features Gur on it, or a stuffed animal, or a toy, or jewelry, or, or there's always been Invader Zim stuff in Hot Topic. And as the time has gone on, and they kind of moved away from the gothic stuff I, that stuff is definitely still in there, and I'm sure the people who shop for that stuff are upset about this part, but as time has gone on, Hot Topic adopted just more of a general pop culture store, so they still have music, a section of music t-shirts devotedly in the back of their store, um, but now in the front, it's all you know anime and cartoons and, and what's popular, and I like that they always have pretty much exclusive t-shirts, shirts that you can't really get anywhere else, so... Invader Zim and Hot Topic go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. Like they 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 were there for each other um, and, it, and it helped continue this cult fan base to grow. Uh, so after it aired its second season on Nicktoons Network, massive ratings, uh, Nickelodeon decided to do one more little test to see if it was worth investing into Invader Zim. They put out a, a brand new DVD that just kind of featured, I believe, like the top Invader Zim episodes. Um, Nickelodeon put it out there. As far as Jonan was told, the the DVD like this was the big test to see if if there was room for Invader Zim, and I guess it sold extremely well. And in the end, Nickelodeon just told Jonan that the show was just too expensive to make. There was just no reason for them to to come back to it. And I just wish like, where are the numbers of how much money Invader Zim has made? from these Hot Topic products over the years. Like, I, I can't understand how they couldn't, like, did that not factor into into their decisions? Because there was as much Invader Zim merchandise as there were 
uh, for SpongeBob. Like you could go into Walmart and see SpongeBob. You can go into Hot Topic and just see as much stuff for Invader Zim at, at some points. At least I remember even just massive sections of the stuff. And I don't know why that just never factored into their, into their decisions. But um, once Brian Robbins came around as the president of Nickelodeon and and started, you know, going back into the back catalog of shows that would return. Uh, hey, Arnold, Rocco's Modern Life and the third announced was Invader Zim, uh, which got a, a form of a, of a TV movie, if you will, that was eventually uh, bought up by Netflix and, and is out as Invader Zim entered the Florpus which was um, of, of just an absolutely wonderful return to the world of Invader Zim. Just kind of one of those one of those movies that honestly, like as a fan, I'm glad to have seen it. Um, and if if there's never a return to Invader Zim in animated form, I, I feel satisfied. It's a, it's a satisfying end to the to the entire saga of Invader Zim. Um, but Invader Zim still continues on to this day um, through comic books. There are still a there's still a comic line. Um, a lot of which helped form the, the kind of some of the newer stuff that you saw in Enter the Florpus in terms of character design and attitude that has been a part of the comic book line since its its launch in 2015. Uh, that 50 issues of it came out as a as a monthly series uh, before being changed to a quarterly series, which with its most recent issue coming out March 17th. 2021 so there, there's still a lot of room for invader zim it is still a very popular nickelodeon series it is one of their biggest series of all time and for a show that lasted so little it's it's incredible um uh, how much it's achieved i think eventually just nickelodeon uh, stopped caring that it was so dark and just kind of let it go on and and i like seeing that now these days i like seeing that invader zim is a little bit more respected in Nickelodeon's eyes than it, it was initially. Um, but but absolutely incredible. Both shows of which Fairly Odd Parents and Vader Zim are on Paramount Plus. So if you've never checked either of those out, uh, definitely take some time out of your day to uh, to check it out. We're going to get a bit older here because 40 years ago on March 31st, 1981, the segment Pop Clips finished up its run on Nickelodeon. Pop Clips, from what I can find, is kind of a uh, program of music videos, kind of in the vein of uh, MTV. It was broadcast weekly on the youth-oriented cable television channel Nickelodeon from late 1980 till 1981, right there on March 31st. So didn't didn't really last too long on the network, but... Um, I, I mean, at the time, I guess they were just trying stuff because eventually MTV became its own channel and, and was an absolute success, which is uh, which is massive there. On the same day, 40 years ago, on March 31st, 1981, the show Hocus Focus finished its run on Nickelodeon. Uh, there was one season of the show. I'm not sure in the amount of episodes, but the one cool thing about it, um, it, it was a... a uh, children's television series that featured an apprentice wizard named Crispin Quester, who was sent on a mage's quest by his headmaster in which he time traveled from the Middle Ages to modern day. Um, there is a professor, there's a professor Rhombus in the show, was actually played by Jim Jenkins, who would go on to create the shows like Doug, Allegra's Window, PB and J Otter, JoJo's Circus. Um, they, I like I never knew that he was an actor of any sort. I I just I knew that he had um, worked some stuff on Pinwheel, which is Nickelodeon's like real first show. 
Um, but I, I had no idea he was on this show called Hocus Focus. And, and I've honestly never seen anything about the show, but uh, but I might have to look into it. Um, and, and we end today with with the biggest possible premiere we, we could ever have. Because 44 years ago, on April 1st, 1977, we have the debut of Nickelodeon. Yeah, that's right. Nickelodeon started on April Fool's Day in 1977. Um, Nickelodeon's, I'm going to just, there's so much history to unpack when it comes to Nickelodeon and its various times on television um, that I'm going to just very lightly skim through just these big, important periods of Nickelodeon. Um, it, it deserves its own episode. It deserves its own podcast about its history and going through um, all of these different eras of its time on on television. But um, I'm, I'm going to be very brief here, and maybe within a year, um, I can once we get back to April 1st here, I can have a, a whole episode kind of going through this whole history uh, of Nickelodeon here. Um, but the concept was created by Dr. Vivian Horner, who is an educator and a director of research on the PBS series The Electric Company. Um, she was the creator of Nickelodeon's very first series, Pinwheel, uh, which debuted on December 1st, 1977, as part of QUBE, an early local cable television system that was launched in Columbus, Ohio by Warner Cable Corp. Uh, one of the 10 community channels that were offered to QUBE subscribers was C3, which exclusively broadcast Pinwheel every day from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so for those that don't know, for, for people who've never you know learned about like television back then, uh, not every channel was 24 hours. Like channels that were 24 hours were actually very rare. And a lot of these you know local channels would have a, a kind of end time, 9 p.m., it would just go off the air. Uh, some channels would just have uh, a single, you know, frame message that would say, you know, hey, the channel's over. Come back tomorrow at 7 a.m. and maybe play some music on under it. Or it would just literally go to those colored bars that are, are so synonymous with television. Um Pinwheel became successful enough for Horner to expand her idea into a full channel on national television over a year later. Um, Nickelodeon for a while was not a massive success. And I think I saw by a certain year, I think it was um, by 1984, was operating at a loss of $10 million. Um, during this time of like Nickelodeon's earliest run on, on TV, they played a lot of... Uh, a free content that they didn't really have to pay for. And there were only a very few amount of shows that they got from other uh, countries. They didn't really have original programming. There were some uh, like Pinwheel, for example, but, but a lot of it holding itself up through these years were just other content that they were kind of purchasing up. Um, other shows that debuted alongside Nickelodeon was a series called Nickel Flicks, which was um, uh, one of its first original series created after the channel launched. And it was uh, it was kind of a re-showing of old serials, you know, like old cliffhanger stuff like, you know, um, that, that would air in theaters. Uh, and it was actually... Uh, hosted by the producer John Mashita, who, if you don't know, is better known as the Micro Machines guy, the the guy who who has the uh, world record of the the fastest talker. He actually was the producer of this, and he was the presenter as well. So there were a few films that aired on this on this show. There were a few 
um, you know, small segment serials that premiered on this. Uh, there was also America Goes Bananas, which premiered as well uh, on April 1st, 1977. Originally, it was Columbus Goes Bananas, but then m- when it was moved over that this was going to be a national show on Nickelodeon, it changed over its name to America Goes Bananas. And it was a bit of a, a variety show, if you will. And thirdly, we have By the Way, which was also launched alongside those other two shows and was just kind of various animated and live action shorts, just kind of in a bundle there um it's just weird that a lot of like when you think of nickelodeon history even myself it kind of goes back to 1991 when the nicktoons first premiered Uh, eventually nickelodeon just said hey let's start creating real original animation content which they didn't want to for so long because of the cost that comes with it but i mean that's that's really when nickelodeon came into its own Uh, it wasn't until uh, I believe ni- was it 1984 that it started changing over to the branding that is still known today, that classic orange splat with the uh, balloon typeface. It- it- it's so classic and ingrained in every kid's mind that grew up at that time because um, it-, it really was, uh, uh, for 26 plus years, it was just the dominant force in children's television. Uh, Eventually, Disney Channel would rise up and Cartoon Network would come along, but Nickelodeon has just been a mainstay. Um, And and like I said, there's so much history to go over here with with Nickelodeon. Um, But yeah, 44 years ago, it premiered. uh, And and that's that's really where this this felt the most appropriate to have as its own segment for this week. Uh, even though I did say the first week of April, I kind of meant next week's, but, uh, when I, you know, first saw like, oh, this, this episode was going to be the Nickelodeon one. It felt appropriate to have as its own segment. Um, so thank you for joining me on this week in Nickelodeon history. Uh, please join us every week. As far as I can, I can tell in the future, these episodes should be coming out around Sunday, Monday time, latest Tuesday. Um, but once I get into kind of a swing of things with these, there should be a specific day that these will always be uploaded. Uh, usually in, in the beginning part of the week, uh, this, this episode, unfortunately didn't fall into that due to some personal issues, but you know, Hey, life is important personal life things can be important um just as much as your hobbies and the things you do on the side so uh thank you for joining me if you have uh any any sort of questions comments for the show you can reach me at snailmail at euphonics.com uh ufonyx.com uh, that is also an email i share uh for a segment on i'm ready a sponge pod squarecast but if there's anything like nickelodeon related that you'd like me to talk about on this show uh by all means you can email me there as well and uh and if you ever say anything i will certainly read it out here on an episode of this show so thank you for joining me thank you for being a part of this uh if you'd like this kind of content if you're watching this on youtube or any place that you can leave a review please do so uh, uh thumb it up share it with your friends share it with any other nickelodeon fans out there who might enjoy this kind of content and we will see you next week on the lord number one nickelodeon